Welcome to On the Line with the AMA, the official podcast of the American Motorcyclist Association. I'm Alexandra Terhorst. On today's show, we're talking with Hall of Famers Gary Mathers and Rob Muzzy. Mathers is best known for his successful career at the helm of American Honda's racing efforts. Muzzy's name is synonymous with numerous Kawasaki championships. For many years, the two men worked together before later managing opposing teams. Mathers explains how it all got started in the early 1980s. When I got to Kawasaki, you know, I was at Polaris first and then uh, ended up at Kawasaki. And we, we needed a, a crew chief or a road race technician. And uh, I was kind of new to that whole thing because I came from snowmobiles. So I just put an ad in Cycle News and Rob answered it. And uh, if I remember right, we went out to dinner, didn't we, Rob? We met. I think we went to dinner and, and it went from there. Well, because I didn't know anything about what I was doing, I thought he was pretty smart. I remember one thing he said, that he used to race, or he was racing, and when he was racing, he didn't make any money. So when he go back to work selling pipes and stuff, then he had the money, but he didn't have time to race. I think that's what you said as to why you thought you'd just get back into working for somebody. I had been in and out of racing, had a small shop, you know, up in Oregon, where I did stuff for racers. That was back in the late 70s. And the economy at that time was turning really, really bad. I thought, I love being involved in racing. Maybe if I went to work for one of the manufacturers, there'd be some security. We later know that's not true. (laughs) That's kind of the beginning of the story. Mather's first priority at Kawasaki was to recruit up-and-coming talent for the road racing team. When I first got to Kawasaki, my my first order from the guy I worked for was to, was to try and sign Freddie Spencer. And uh, I didn't really, really know who he was. I heard his name, but I, I phoned him up and I was going to go see him. And Honda got there a day before me and he, he went with Honda. And that's how we ended up in Lawson. And, and the Lawson story is really funny. We had a girl named Ann that worked in the office and, and I, I really didn't know who any road racers were. So I had her go through a, about a half a year's worth of cycle news. And that's back when cycle news was a newspaper. And in the back, it always had four or five pages of race results. So I had her go through the classes that we were interested in and uh, see who the winners were. And Eddie's name came to the top and I went out and saw him and I paid him $25,000 and, and expenses. And that's how we got Lawson. With future Hall of Famer Eddie Lawson now on the team, it was up to Muzzy to build bikes that could win. I was on Eddie's bike. It was not easy, but we did win in 1981. And uh, we had a number of problems in the beginning uh, with reliability and what have you, but it kind of all came together a few races into the season and, and ended up really good. We won. You know, he was a, he wanted to win. He was a winner. And, uh, he, of course, we gave him some pretty good bikes after we got started. And so things went pretty well. You know, Eddie is probably one of my favorite riders. For sure. And I think the reason is because he was very demanding. I mean, typically when we'd go to a race, we usually had two motorcycles and he would go out and, of course, we'd do tire testing and shock testing and all the normal stuff. And through all that, you know, he'd say, well, this is junk. We need to do something with it. This is no good. And then come Saturday night, he'd go, okay, I want the fork from that bike and the engine from the other bike, and I want the transmission changed. I want second and third gear change, and the shock, these shocks over here. We'd have to build a whole bike Saturday night. I mean, we're talking working late into the night. But by God, come Sunday morning, he'd take the thing out there and win with it. As he always said, second is like kissing your sister. <laughs> yeah, I remember that. I have 
to this day the, the greatest admiration for his abilities. I like Eddie too. If you got somebody as good as that that can do the job you need, you gotta you gotta put up with whatever it is because you can't do it. With Muzzy's bike building expertise, the talented Lawson won the 1980 and 81 AMA 250 Grand Prix titles and the 81 and 82 AMA Superbike Championships. His success earned him a coveted seat on the 1983 Yamaha Grand Prix team. Back at Kawasaki, Mathers and Muzzy were focusing on a rising talent by the name of Wayne Rainey. He was a dirt tracker, and I was convinced that the kids that came up through dirt tracking had a better chance at road racing because they had so many more races under their belt. You know, back then, a dirt tracker could run three, four nights a week if he wanted to. The kids that started out road racing might have 20 or 30 races under their belt, and the dirt tracker the same age might have 150. For 81 and 82, uh, I was Eddie's mechanic and the crew chief for the team. So after 82, Eddie went to Europe, and Wayne was our main guy. He started with us when he was really young. He had a, a detuned version of Eddie's bike. I can remember that one time he was saying, well, why don't I get the same thing as Eddie? And I says, because you can't ride it. And he goes, well, what do you mean? It was during a test day. It wasn't the actual race. So we put him on Eddie's bike and sent him out. He came back in shaking. He says, you're right. Give me my motorcycle back. <laughs> in 1983, Facing down Honda's formidable new V4 powerhouse, piloted by future Hall of Famers Mike Baldwin, Steve Wise, and Fred Merkel, Rainey and Muzzy had a serious challenge on their hands. Basically, Honda had big, fancy new motorcycle, V4, water-cooled, far superior in standard form to the machine that we used, which was, you know, a two-valve, air-cooled, even chassis-wise was inferior in standard form to the Honda. So we had a real problem because the bike was down on power compared to the Hondas. And of course, Honda, that was a big deal. And they put a lot of, lot of money and a lot of effort into their bike. So the challenge was, you know, to try and get something that would even run with the Honda. So we worked on it, we worked on it. And, and finally, we were able to get power that was close to the Honda. But then we had reliability problems. So we kind of got to where we could stay in their draft in, in the earlier races. And, and because Wayne was such a tenacious rider, he was always there. So in other words, I mean, it wasn't like he was placing pretty much he'd be on the podium if the bike finished. Of course, we constantly tested and tested, trying to find more power. And finally came up with a combination that ran pretty good. And we ran it the first time at Brainerd, which is got the longest straightaway of any track we ran on. And the reality was, to our surprise, Wayne was able to draft and pass the Hondas, which scared the hell out of them. <laughs> and uh, that engine, again, had a lifespan. It basically would run one race. So we had to build spares up and start the race with a brand new engine. In. If we ran a second day, we had to change the engine, put another one in. But point is, it would run the length of a race and perform well the whole time. So now we started winning. <laughs> and for some reason, that just seemed to shock Honda so bad. We ended up winning the championship. I think Honda got panicky yeah. and started making changes, and it just they went downhill. Yeah, I think so. Rainey's 1983 win marked Kawasaki's third AMA Superbike Championship. There was no stopping Mathers and Muzzy and their Kawasaki team, or so it seemed. Honda had been trying to hire me previously, but 
I just really liked Kawasaki. We were a close team, and I didn't want to leave. But again, the economy was bad, and they had a wage freeze and a hiring freeze, etc. at that time. So I went to the head of R&D and told him, I says, look, I got to be honest with you. I don't want to leave here, but Honda's made me an offer that is much better than what I'm getting paid now. And the fellow that was the R&D manager at that time, he, he says, well, I'm so sorry. I can't do anything now because we have a company-wide freeze. And he says, but we don't want to lose you. He says, I promise you that when the freeze lifts, we will make it right by you. He says, your family, you're part of the Kawasaki family, etc." So I stayed with Kawasaki. Well, <laughs> as Gary and I both know, at the end of 83, we all got fired. Well, they, they quit road racing. I called them and said, hey, are you still interested in me? They said, absolutely. That, that's how I ended up at Honda. One thing that most it, people don't know, Rob, is that you went to Honda before I did. And I, yeah. some of the magazine editors used to blame me for bringing you to Honda, and you were there first. Do you remember that? <laughs> yeah. I went to work for a company called InSport, who was a sanctioning body for Supercross. Uh, InSport was a company that was founded by one of the guys at Suzuki, and I was the manager that ran the races, and they ran Supercross. So Rob left to go to Honda, and I went to InSport for about, I guess, about a year. And then the promoters that had Supercross, I think there were three promoters that were doing Supercross, they finally gave in to the AMA and said, yeah, we'll, we'll let you have part of the purse from the food business at the stadiums. And they they all got back together, and, they, and, and, uh, and then InSport was out. So then I was looking for a job. I was at Laguna Seca for a road race just as a civilian, and a Japanese guy from Honda walked up to me and wanted to know if I'd have dinner with him that night. I thought that was a little strange. I had no idea who he was. So anyway, I went and had dinner with him, and he offered me a job in Honda. He said, what will it take to get you to run a road race team? And uh, I just came up with a number, and he said, okay. To this day, wish I'd come up with a higher number. But anyway, that's how I got to Honda. And by the time I got to Honda, Rob was already there. Here's some information for Gary that he doesn't know. I, my job when I went to work for Honda, my title was crew chief research and development, Honda Racing. I was basically in charge of development of all of the team stuff, motocross, road race, dirt track. You know, they gave me priorities. And, of course, the first year it was dirt track. Oddly enough, the next year it was motocross. But in any event, I went to almost every race that didn't conflict which means I did over 30-some races that year. And most of the time, I rode with the manager. Kazuka was his name. And he was the same manager that was in charge of racing when we beat them in 1983. And he had a, <laughs> That's right. he had a great deal of respect for myself and Gary and, and what we had accomplished. Well, he had been called back to Japan, and he was told that he had to pick his successor. And, of course, in all of these travels that he and I did together and all the time we spent together, there was a lot of conversation. And, of course, I spoke highly of Gary. Well, on one of the the trips, he says, well, he says, I'm going to be leaving, and I have to pick my successor. He told me the story. And he says, who would you recommend? And I said, well, that's a no-brainer. I said, without a doubt, Gary Mathers is the best manager I've ever worked with. That but was cool. I hope I influenced him. That's great. I never knew that. Thanks. I had a lot to do at Honda. They were 
they were in a little bit of trouble when I got there. The whole program was just wide open, and I had a whole lot of office stuff to do, and and uh, I pretty much let people in the shop, especially like Rob, because I knew he, I knew he knew what he was doing. I pretty much let him go, and uh, I spent most of my time trying to get the department straightened out, getting the paperwork and the budget. And the first couple of years, that's pretty much all I did. Guys like Rob just made it all happen. Case to have good people. Well, I, I'm afraid that I probably have been one of the people that have been difficult for Gary, too, at times, because unfortunately, shortly after he did come to work there, I was pretty much disappointed. The reasons being is that basically half the guys that work directly under me are the same guys that were part of the team that we had been beating for three years. Yep. It was not a real comfortable environment for me. So I went to Gary and said, well, Gary, I, I'm going to quit. He goes, no, 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 you can't quit. I just hired Wayne Rainey, and I told him you were going to be his mechanic. And I said, oh, you got a problem. <laughs> so the solution to the story was that I, in fact, did quit, and Gary hired me under contract to be Wayne's mechanic. That was it. I had no involvement in working with everybody else. Basically, my job was under a contract basis to be Wayne's mechanic. Merkel won in 86 and Wayne won in 87. That's one of those interesting stories. Both Merkel and Wayne pretty much got first and second at every race. But the weirdest thing was is that Merkel was on Michelin and Wayne was on Dunlop. So here you got two team guys on different tires. And for the most part, probably the Dunlops were better. But we went to one race, it was mid-Ohio, and the Michelins were by far superior. And, you know, Wayne tried really hard to beat Merkel there, but he just didn't have the tires to do it. And he ended up crashing, and it cost him the championship. He He had like six wins, and Fred had like 10 seconds or something. I mean, you know what I'm saying. So... I think it was only a point or two that Wayne lost by. And I can I can remember that the, the people that he's talking about inside on are the ones that were there when we got there. They always thought that I favored Wayne and, and didn't like Merkel. And uh, I actually, I was never involved in either one of them's motorcycles to speak of. Rainey's second superbike title earned him a ride on the World GP stage in the premier 500cc class. The future Hall of Fame legend would go on to win three consecutive world championships with Team Yamaha Roberts in 1990, 91, and 92. His departure from the Kawasaki team marked a career change for Muzzy as well, and the first time that he and Mathers would lead opposing teams. My contract didn't get renewed, so, you know, I had to do something. And, you know, I was really pretty burned out by that time. I was perfectly willing to go wash dishes somewhere or anything that wasn't as demanding as what I'd been doing. And uh, see, I was in business prior to going to work for Kawasaki. So I just kind of went back into the same thing. But of course, now I had gotten all of this recognition in the press, et cetera. And the name, you know, had become kind of synonymous with their motorcycle performance. So my wife, she talked to me into going back into business. So I opened up a small place and started doing some engine building and making exhaust and stuff. And it just took off and it grew and it grew and it grew. Well, when I heard Kawasaki was coming out with the new Ninja, which would have been 1989, I went to Kawasaki and tried to talk them into doing a race program. And 
the guy who was the president of Kawasaki at that time, Lyndon Iracusa, very much like racing, etc. And he says, well, okay, we'll give it a try. And he gave me some free motorcycles and $20,000 of which I hired Doug Chandler with. And that was the beginning. So we ran a couple races late in the year in 1989 and Doug won. I think he won a couple of them. And so in 1990, they gave me a bigger budget and that's kind of the beginning of that story. It went from there to a lots of championships and, and a lot of race wins, including a world superbike win. Yeah, and I got to watch them all. <laughs> Do you remember that time Doug? when Chandler was ahead of Bostrom in Superbike? Yep. And I think you guys got an oil leak right towards the end. Yeah, a screw came out of the clutch cover or something. That was one of the worst years I ever had. And if I remember right, Ben Bostrom ended up winning it, but you kicked our butt the whole race. And then right at the end, I think you had an oil leak or something. And that was yeah. the only championship that, that we won that year. If, we, if that hadn't happened, that would have been the only year in my whole career where we didn't win anything. So you well, definitely put a dent in my win streak. <laughs> well, I'm I'm not going to say I'm sorry about that, but yeah. well, we had a good time doing it. I mean, we always got along at the races. Hell, yeah. I, you know. Well, as I've always said, it isn't good for anybody to win everything. People used to think I was nuts when I'd say, you know, I really don't want to win everything. We need to have, you know, Honda's got to get their shot. Yeah. Got to have theirs to keep the whole thing yep. going. And uh, yeah, I can remember. Well, the second year I was with Honda, we had ATVs and dirt track and road race and supercross and outdoor motocross. We were in nine different series, and we won them all. And so that year after the banquet, I was in Japan for one of our little annual meetings, and the big shot at Japan sat me down. He said, you know, he said, it's not really good to win all the races. And here I was so proud, and I'd go to Japan and get my butt chewed. I'll never forget that. <laughs> So when I got back, you know, I took my job description and I took it to my boss's desk. That was Ray Blank. I took it to his desk and I said, all right, then change it. Because in, in my job description, it said, do your utmost to win at all costs. And he handed it back to me and said, get out of here. <laughs> so who provides inspiration to race team managers who are the best of the best? There's a fellow back at Polaris Snowmobiles. He's a, he's a world champion snowmobile racer. His name is Bob Eastman. And, uh, he was manager of the uh, the Polaris race team after he got done racing. And then he decided that he wanted to get back into racing. And so they hired me. And I, when I first started out, everything I did was stuff that he told me because I had no idea what I was doing. And uh, yeah, he was my mentor. I still have a lot of respect for him. I, I pretty much all the time, I just tried to hire the best people we could find and just let them go. But if you got on my bad side, I, it wasn't too good sometimes. <laughs> Probably the best way to put it, and it probably could be said about me too as a boss, that basically if you were doing your job, really he just supported you. If you weren't doing your job, <laughs> he wasn't very supportive. But luckily for me, I didn't make that many mistakes. No, Rob, you did really good. Certainly there were times when I worked for Gary that we didn't agree on things. And I can remember that Basically, when we had something we didn't agree on, at least from how I remember it, it, it always ended up with, well, I've told you how I feel, but you're the boss, so we'll do it your way. On most of those things, I just didn't understand why he would make the decisions he did. It usually had something to do with, with the team, you know. Of course, when you're below that level, you only see what 
you have to deal with. You don't see what the manager has to deal with. In later years, when I was running my own thing, I can't tell you how many times when I came to a hard spot, the first thing I would think is, how would Gary have handled this? And really, it kind of, matter of fact, I'm sure, I really think I did apologize to Gary and thank him that I finally realized why he made the decisions he made and that I thought he was wrong and he wasn't. So a side shot of that is Merlin Plumley and I used to have many disagreements because Merlin, again, just like I used to, would see things from his viewpoint, but he couldn't understand why I made the decisions I did. And I tried to explain him that I had to consider the whole program, you know, not just him and his rider. And in years later, he ran a world superbike team in Europe. One night in Japan, late at night, he came to my room, knocked on the door, and he says, listen, I just want to thank you and apologize for thinking you were such an idiot. Now that now that I, you know, I'm in the same position you were, I see why you had to make those decisions. So it's kind of funny, it's a thing. Yeah, both Rob and, and, and Merlin, and we had a lady named Andrea that was our administrative assistant in the office. And then Tom Job, who has passed away recently, was our fabricator guy. And those four people, along with Brian Yuchita, our parts guy, were the five people in Honda that put me on the map. And 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 all all five of them are just great people to this day. You know, there's so many people that it takes to make a successful program. And I guess the bad part about it is, is that only a few really ever get the recognition for it. Pretty much everybody I worked with, I'd like to thank. Yeah, same for me. There's just a whole bunch of them. It was a good ride for me. Started out with a high school education and ended up in the Hall of Fame. That's not so bad. Me too. You're one of my favorite guys, Rob. Well, thank you very much. You're my hero. Hall of Famers Gary Mathers and Rob Muzzy. Read more about them and other motorcycling greats at MotorcycleMuseum.org. And if you think that racing is always serious business, think again. Back when we were both at at Kawasaki, we had raced in Kent, Washington, and Eddie had won the race. Actually, it was one of the most spectacular races. Eddie literally went off the track under the dirt to pass Freddie. So we were celebrating at the restaurant. <laughs> the Honda guys apparently were in the same restaurant. Our whole team is, of course, at one table celebrating our victory, and pretty soon some item of food lands on the table. And we look around and see the Honda guys, and they're all laughing. So, of course, someone at our table felt the need to return the favor. And the next thing I know, food is flying across the restaurant. And I mean, I'm talking about lobster, steak, mashed potatoes. It's a full on crazy food fight. Every once in a while, I think of that deal and, and, and poor Gary. Yep, I remember that. I didn't think it was too funny at the time. <laughs> On the Line with the AMA is a production of the American Motorcyclist Association. Since 1924, the AMA has been promoting the motorcycle lifestyle and protecting the future of motorcycling. Learn more at AmericanMotorcyclist.com.